0: My name is John Shikamatsu, and this is my wife, Min, and our daughter, Faith. And today's scripture reading is from John chapter 13, 10 to 11, and verses 18 to 30. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Um, Jesus answered, those who have a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean. So not every one of you for well, he knew who was going to betray him and that was why he said not everyone was clean.
1: God's I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen but this is to fulfill this message of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am.
0: Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send, accepts me, and whoever accepts me, accepts the one Who sent me? After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. This is the word of the Lord. you. You may be seated.
1: Yes, if any of you have infants, if you bring them to Lake Avenue Church, they learn to read like this. Just... <laughs> Dana and Devin. <clears throat> Dana and Devin and, and El Faith. So, what a blessing to be in a church like this. Well, as you've been hearing all morning, uh, this is a big weekend here in our nation. It is Martin Luther King, a weekend. Tomorrow we'll be celebrating that day. And it's also a sanctity of life weekend. Now, when you think about it, if you know much about those two days, you know that the constituencies that wanted to have the celebration of those two days, those are probably different groups of people. Would you imagine? And yet, when you really think about it, the point that I make every year. ...is that when you think about the principle underlying both of those days in these celebrations, it really is the same one. These days are calling us to open our eyes, uh, to see that in our nation and in our world, that human life is often devalued or treated unjustly or discarded, Um, sometimes... As Dr. King made so clear to us, sometimes it happens simply because of a past or because of externals like skin color. Um, what's been happening in the last month, as I've been reading what's happening in the world, is that there are large and growing groups around our world who are willing to take life and even argue that it's okay to take human life simply because of their uh, radical Islamic uh, convictions. That, that, well, retaliation is okay because of all that's happened to us and because of a cause that is being furthered. Um, when, when Sanctity of Life Sunday is thought about, uh, the issue that gave rise to that, of course, is the acknowledgement that so much human life that is still in the womb is devalued and, and, and even destroyed. Uh, I was reading an article this week about how some perceptions on that are changing among younger generations. For those 35 and under, Even for those who never go to church and don't even believe in God, there is a growing recognition that that life must be a life uh, that is human uh, within the womb because now you can do intrauterine surgeries and all sorts of different things so that in recent years there has been a slight, ever since 1980, a slight decline in the number of abortions done in our country, but it's still over a million. So we we gather here uh, in in a church where we name uh, the Jesus is the Lord of this church and the Bible tells us that uh, he is the one through whom all was made including every human life and that human life is created to reflect his image and that Jesus in fact so much valued human life that he entered in and took on human flesh so here here we gather with those issues in front of our nation about the value of a human life. And, and what happens, uh, the text that, that we've had on the dock for a long time and this is this very difficult text that John and men in faith read to us about Judas betraying Jesus. I'll tell you, I thought, well, I need to pick a different text. First of all, it's really hard to preach about. And secondly, what on earth does it have to say about the value of every human life in the eyes of God and how we as a church family Wanting to honor Jesus, how we should live in the midst of a time like this. So I thought, I'm just going to give that to Pastor Jeff and let him preach on that someday. (laughs) I'm going to take a different one, like Psalm 139 or something. But I could not get away from the fact that, first of all, this text is absolutely powerful. and, And second, that it has something to say to us about what a church should be in a world like this. And so I've been preparing this message all week, just praying, Father, help me to see what this has to say about the value of every human life in our community and in our world and what you would have us to be as a church. So I came back and I started reading John 13 again. That's where we've come. Now, if you're visiting with us, you weren't here last week. What's happening for five chapters from chapter 13 to 17 that we're going to be looking at for the next several months? We're looking at this last day of Jesus life. Um, he's meeting with his 12 disciples, his closest associates, and he is telling them how they are to think and to live in this very difficult world where things happen like I've been talking about here, how they are to think and to live and to represent him. He's taking on the most difficult issues of all throughout this, this passage. It is so personal. It, it, it is so profound. So I went back and I started reading the beginning of it again, just chapter 13, chapter 13. And here's what I saw. That Jesus was setting in front of them what any community of people, starting with his 12 men, and I think including us, any community of people who says, Jesus is the one we follow, how uh, we are to treat one another. And do you remember last week, verses 1 to 17, what Jesus did. Uh, he had them gathered. They were reclining on the table. They hadn't had their feet washed yet. He took off his outer cloak. He only had on the clothes of a slave. Um... And and then he did what only a slave would do for them. He washed their feet. And, And it was pointing to something so much bigger. It was pointing to what he would do very, very soon. Becoming a slave for all of us. The sinless one. Being willing to take our place and offer us forgiveness so that we could be cleansed. Hallelujah. I love this. Cleansed of our sins. And then the powerful part of that is. What he said to his disciples and really comes through and says to us, now you have seen what I have done, he said, and you call me your Lord and master. So now you must do to others as I have done to you. Do you see the vision of the church, the dream uh, of the church that Jesus is giving to us? It is a place where people look out for one another, a, a place where people value one another, a, people, a place even where we serve One another, as Jesus has served us, regardless of external matters, regardless of background or age. Do you see that? Mm -hmm. Then, when you come down to verse 31, if if you have a Bible in front of you, you can even take out your phone app if you want. If you want to go down to verse 31, you see that what he had illustrated through washing feet, in verses 31 to 35, he turns it into a command. He, He says, now, let me tell you, a new command I give to you. You must... In this world, you must love one another. Uh, As I have loved you, you must love one another. How will this hurting and watching world ever know that you truly are my followers and that this message is true? This is how, when they watch you and they see you loving one another. So so I hope you see it, this this vision of a church, this, this vision of a community in this hurting, imperfect world would increasingly, we would come a, become a place where people serve one another, even as Pastor Jeff was talking about, in small and great ways. And where, where, where love is going to go across those natural divisions that separate people in our world. And the people will see it and they say, there must be a God. And they'll know that we are truly Christians. Now, so you have that, don't you? These two different sections. Right in the middle, we come to the text we're coming to today as he is laying forth this vision of what a community is supposed to be when Jesus is the Lord, a love-filled, trust-filled community of people serving one another, what we have here is the tragic story of one of Jesus' closest associates, one of the people that he had washed his feet, one of the people he would die for, um, deceiving him, breaking trust, and even betraying him. Do You see, Jesus knowing that this was going to be hard for his disciples later uh, when they saw him on the cross, knowing that, that what was supposed to characterize a, a community where Jesus is Lord was supposed to be love for one another, he knew that this act of one of those people that he had invested his time in and had mentored, of, of his deception and lovelessness, could destroy everything that the church was supposed to be. It's why I've called this the power of deceit. The power of deceit. It seemed like it had the power to undermine everything. If the world is to know that we are his followers by our love for one another, what would they say when, uh, when they would say, Oh, look, if he couldn't even get 12 men to, to love one another, wh- how is it possible you're going to have a worldwide community where people live trustworthy and love-filled lives? Do you see this? Now, let me, let me stop for just a moment. This was not simply something that had relevance Uh, to these 12 disciples. I've been a pastor for so long and one of the things is I'm in our neighborhood or when I talk to sometimes students who are now in college who aren't going to church anymore and I ask them, why why aren't you coming? More often than any other single reason that is given is this, because when I was in the church at some point, uh, I experienced lovelessness or, or, or deceit, hypocrisy and even betrayal and in seeing that, the just conviction is, it can't be true. If, if what Jesus is going to do is, is to change people and transforms people's lives into loving, trustworthy, people of integrity, and, and you see that kind of thing and you experience it personally, uh, then, then that's why I, I, I just can't go. Now, let me tell you, if you're a person who knows folks like that or you feel that way yourself, uh, the thing I want you to hear today is that Jesus experienced that Personally, he experienced that personally. One of his innermost circles uh, proved to be trustworthy, uh, not trustworthy, and it proves to be a betrayer. And and Jesus knew it was going to happen. And yet, here I want you to notice this too: that um, once uh, he had left, knowing Jesus, knowing what he was going to do, go out and betray him. Jesus still had a hope for his people and for the church, he still turned back to his followers and says, I'm not going to give up on you. Now, I've got to tell you this. You must love one another. One of you will betray me, but you must love one another. This is how the world is going to know that you are my followers. Now, I've often asked myself, why is it that when people see deception and distrust and outside in the world... That, well, they're shaken, but it doesn't sort of shake them at the roots, but in the church it does. And don't you think a part of it is the expectation that God is going to uh, fix us faster than he seems to be fixing us? You know people don't fix fast. And the beauty is that Jesus doesn't give up on us. And God doesn't give up on us. And he promises us that what he started, he's going to complete. So today, the the thing I thought I need to talk to you about is, how did Jesus get to that from that point of the deception of one of the closest people to him to the point of still believing that in a church like ours, we can truly become a loving, serving community to one another? That's what I want us to think about. So, So that we can invite other people to come in. And grow with us and become a part of us. What does the life of Jesus teach us about how we live in the midst of broken trust in this world because we see it so often? Okay, so make note of it. I'm going to let John uh, just walk us through it. If you have your Bibles, just, just go right through it. I'm just going to let him walk us through this report of how Jesus got to that point. The, the first thing is this. That Jesus wanted them and us to know that as destructive As betrayal and distrust and lovelessness is. Even that cannot thwart the beautiful plan of our God. Whose plan is to make all things right. Uh, The lovelessness of somebody else. The deception of somebody else. The betrayal of somebody else. Does not ruin the plan of God. In the world. In this church. And in your life. And his plan is to make everything right in creation. And look at what Jesus Says to them, listen, it's going to happen, this betrayal, but Scripture will be fulfilled. Amen. Scripture, let me, let me get you into this. Um, after washing the feet, he, he turned to his disciples and he said, This is the way you should live. Uh, you should serve one another. And in fact, he said, At the end of verse 18, you'll see, you'll be blessed if you live a life in which you live giving to others. Remember, I made this point last week. I said, what Jesus really is saying is, this is my life. This is what I'm all about. This is where I find my joy, as Tracy prayed for us, joy in seeing us being made right. And he said, blessed, you'll have the same thing. You're going to be happier when the focus of your life is to make other people happier. You're going to enjoy church more when the main thing that you hope for is that the interests of others will be met before your own. Now, when Jesus said that and when I preached it, did any of you believe it? This is just not at all what our world says to us. But that's what he says. When you learn to live this way, you're going to find your happiness. You're going to find your life. Life is found in serving as I have found. But then he has to stop. He says, but I have to tell you, not all of you are going to be blessed. Uh, Not all of you will find a life through service. And and his phrase is, not all of you are chosen. Now, you've got to listen to me very carefully. Balcony two. Um, That phrase where Jesus says, not all of you are chosen, has led uh, many preachers to focus the whole sermon from this text on that. How can we understand who is chosen and who is not? Uh, I've listened to three or four sermons this week, and that's all they talked about. And, And I think that misses the main point. The main point flows out of that. Let's see if I can get at it with you. What Jesus is going to be saying to them is this. Listen, something is going to happen to you. That when it happens, it, it's going to shake your faith. But, but I want you to know this, that God is still at work. God has chosen a plan that is going to happen. And even though, even though things are going to happen, that it seems like God is out of control. Don't you believe it? Uh, When this happens, I want you still to trust me. I want you to still stick with me. I want you still to believe. And he does this in two ways. Uh, He, first of all, takes them back to Scripture. He says, Now this Scripture is going to be fulfilled. And the text he takes them to is Psalm chapter 41, uh, verse 9. Let me see. Is that verse? Does he do that in verse 18, I think? Um, There it is. Uh, Yes. This is going to happen to fulfill this passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. That's Psalm 41, verse 9. Uh, And and that text is a text where in David's life, who wrote this, everything was going wrong. All all the people around him, all all of his people were turning against him. They didn't want him as king anymore. And finally, the greatest agony of all happens in verse 9. And he said, even you. And here he's going to talk about one of his closest friends. Even you, Ahithophel. Even you, the person that I've shared bread with, my friend, even you have betrayed me. Do do you feel the agony of that? Have you ever had someone really close to you, the one person you you thought would stand with you, not standing with you? And and essentially what Jesus is saying is this. Everyone else, and David too, thought when even the betrayal of someone close to him took place that all of God's plan was going to be thwarted because the Messiah was to come through the line of David. And Jesus is saying, not so. God is still God. Even when other people do things that is wrong, God is still God. And God is going to complete his plans and his plans are good and you've got to trust him. And now that I am here, David's greater son, the one who has come through David's line, and I am going to betray just as he was betrayed. You you never think that God's work is going to be thwarted by human wrongdoing. God is going to complete his plan. He's going to complete his plan. So, brothers and sisters, whenever things happen in your life, uh, so many times don't you you sort of get the feeling when somebody has mistreated you, abused you, whatever that may be, the thought so many times is, now I can never really live. And we blame that situation over there. And God turns to us and says, as bad as that is, I will deal with that person in that situation. But whatever anyone has done to you, it cannot keep my beautiful plan from happening in your life. My my plan for you is I'm going to make you complete in Christ. I'm going to cleanse you of your own sins and whatever scars are there, I'm going to heal you. And nothing that anyone else in this world can do will thwart my plan for your life, for this church, and actually for what God is doing in this world. I want you to hold on to that. Do you believe that? In fact, Jesus goes on from Scripture in verse 19. He says, now I'm telling you this now. Before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe that, and you may make it, miss it when you see it in your version, that I am. Now, the text that men read for us said that I am who I am. And that, that's a really good translation. And those of you who know the Bible pretty well, this takes us back to the book of Exodus. Exodus. Um, when Moses and the people were in slavery and everything seemed to be wrong, God met Moses out in the wilderness and spoke to him through the burning burning bush and said, I'm going to send you back to set my people free. (laughs) And Moses said, I can't talk. I'm no good at this. How can I possibly do it? This is impossible. God essentially says, I'm going to do it through you. And finally Moses just said to him, "Um, who do I tell them sent me? I don't even know who to, tell, who to tell them who sent me. And you remember what the burning bush, the voice said? Tell them, I am sent you. I am who I am. And I know. That's what it says. I know what I'm doing. I know the future. I know that I'm going to set my people free. I know I'm going to build a people through whom Messiah comes. I know he is going to come. I know he's going to die for your sins. I know he's going to... I know. And Jesus here is taking that up and he says, I am. I am the I am. And even though it's some things happen in your life, you can make no sense out of it. You don't know. I am and I know. That's the first thing I see here. As destructive as what anybody else may ever do. And Judas has seemed like it would hit at the very heart of the plan and purposes of God. The beautiful plan of God to make all things right and to make your life is not going to be thwarted by any wrongdoing of somebody else. Nobody else is God. Anybody believe that? Three. Okay, number two. Jesus says that even though deception and betrayal do not thwart the plan of God in your life and in this world and in this church, it still brings anguish to the heart of Jesus. Look at verse 21. Uh, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. Um, I've come to love the Gospel of John. Uh, I did my dissertation in the Gospel of Mark I love the Gospel of John. (laughs) Let me tell you why. It's so simple. It's so simple English. Some people call it, I mean Greek. Some people call it Reader's Digest level Greek because anybody can understand it. Um, And yet it is so deeply profound. And and what it gets us into, more than any of the other parts of Scripture, is into the heart and life of Jesus. It was written by the disciple that is described as the one whom Jesus loved. And he, he gives us insight into the way that Jesus thinks about people, in a way that is so beautiful. Sometimes I, I read it and just weep about about it. Like what you say? Well, if you pull back just two chapters, the John chapter 11, there's this one section where one of the closest friends of Jesus died, a young man named Lazarus, and and so, Jesus could have gone. He knew what was happening, and he decided to wait because he had other purposes that were there. But actually, when he got there and he saw the graveside and he met especially with Lazarus's sisters and especially Mary and she was weeping and and she was grieving and she just couldn't understand why a person had to die prematurely the phrase that is used there is that Jesus in the midst of that he was deeply troubled in his spirit Uh, The word that was used there is is a word that was often used when a a horse would be uh, walking along a path and something like a snake or something would go across and it would jump and essentially say, that's not supposed to be there. And, And that's what Jesus is doing. He's the one through whom the whole world is made. And as he saw Mary, whom he loved, weeping, he said, Someday the day is going to come when weeping's not going to be here anymore. My, my plan is to have a world where that doesn't happen. When he saw her grieving because of a death that separated her from her brother. He said, that's not the way this is going to end. When he even looked at the tomb and saw the death, it says he was deeply troubled in his spirit. That's not the way things are going to be when I've completed my work. I have felt this so deeply as my father passed away. I'm sure almost all of you have experienced times like that. Inside you'd say, I I entrust him to the Lord, but this isn't the way things are supposed to be. Have you ever felt that about something in this world? That's the way Jesus is. John gets us in, and it's the very same word that he uses here. As he thought about Judas, a man in whom he had invested so much of his life, three years he'd been mentoring him, uh, walking away from him. Uh, Jesus has made people to be people of integrity. Uh, Jesus has made people to be people who are trustworthy, not to be people who are traitors and betray. And when he sees... A person, a human being made in his image, walking away from him like Judas was going to do. He looks at it and even though he knows that God's purposes are not going to be thwarted, that in fact God would use this to further his purposes, still the Bible tells us the inner spirit of Jesus was troubled. And brothers and sisters, the same thing goes for you and me. Uh, God has made us to walk with Him. And when He sees us engaging in things that are not things of integrity, purity, uh, when He sees us walking away from Him, you just got to know that the heart of Jesus breaks when that takes place. So... How does he treat us when we um, uh, turn back? How should we respond um, when we see others in the church or in our families who have not lived lives of integrity? Well, number three, Jesus shows us that too. And and this story tells us that. That when we see the deception and betrayal in others, our response should not be proud criticism or, or the thought, well, I could never do anything that bad. The first response that should be in our hearts that we see in this story from verses 22 to 25 is deep introspection to say, Lord, uh, where could I possibly uh, be one who deceives you? And in that little phrase where they begin to ask, Lord, who is it? So here, here's the way I see it. Jesus says in the hearing of all 12 men, truly, truly, I say to you, uh, this is a way of him saying, listen up, this is going to happen. One of you is going to betray me. Now, when you look at the other Gospels, we have a fuller report. And what we find them doing is wrestling with one another and asking this question, Lord, who is it? Is it I? Is it I? And when you read the way they do it, it becomes very clear that each one of them could see in their own lives the seed of something that could lead to that kind of deception and betrayal. It means that the first thing that they did was not to look out and say, wow, there's somebody really awful here, but they thought it could happen in and through me. It's one of the few times in the entire Gospels that the disciples seem to respond in the right way to the things that Jesus is saying. And so too, whenever we see wrongs in our world, often our first thought is, oh, that world out there is so awful. Look at all the awful things that non-Christians are doing. And the first thing we should do, we should dare not ignore the evil that is in the world. But the first thing that you and I have to do is to look inside ourselves and say, Lord, is it I? Because they needed Jesus, not just Judas, they needed Jesus to wash their feet too. Um, They needed Jesus, the sinless one, to die on the cross for them too. And the same, they were all recipients of God's mercy. And so are you, and so am I. And so, in a church like that, as I've so often said, whenever we have recognized this, there's no way a church like ours, where Jesus is Lord and we have read this, there's no way we can be proud. There's no way we can be self-righteous. It's just not possible. Because whenever we see the evil in our world, we look inside of ourselves and say, there but for the grace of God go I. So so that whenever we have a church gathering, it should be a place that just welcomes people and says there's hope for any of us. And when sometimes, as does happen, one of us has failed seriously, Uh, the Apostle Paul takes a text like this and applies it to another church, Galatians 6. And this is what he said we should do. Brothers and sisters, So if anyone is caught in any transgression, any sin, and, and, and this idea of being caught in is that it's become public, people know about it. It leads to that kind of brokenness in families and relationships and in the church that that always. when that happens, he says, "You who are spiritual, you who haven't been caught up in that sort of thing, you should kick him out of church." I'm just Anybody listening? You should act like I could never do anything like that. What a rotter that person is. Do you ever notice what Paul says? You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Lest you too be tempted. Now specifically when I think about this, I think you and I when we gather in church and read these couple of verses... We should look for those areas of our life that if they came out they would break trust with people that we love and perhaps would even dishonor God. And if you ask me, Pastor, what kind of things might those be? Let me give you the biggest clue that I can give you. What are those things you try to keep hidden from the people that you love? So that when that person that you love walks into the room, you slap that computer shut because you know that what's there would would break trust what is it that you don't want to see text that might be on the phone that you don't want anybody what is it that is hidden because when those things remain hidden they're usually hidden because we know they would break trust and as i speak if the spirit of god brings some of those things to your mind i just urge you to even now confess those to the lord say lord set me free I want tomorrow to be different from yesterday. And when there's been a pattern that has taken place a long time and and you confess that, do you think Jesus will receive you? I declare to you in the authority of the Bible, He will. He has not given up on you. And how do I know that? Why am I so sure of that today as I preach to you? Because number four, Jesus is long-suffering. Anybody know that word? You have to be a long-time churchgoer to know that word. (laughs) It's an old word from the King James Version, but I'll come back to it. And as one who is long-suffering, he continues to offer grace to the worst betrayer, and he continues to do it to the very end. And this all comes out in this interchange that happens between verses 26 and 30, in which Jesus dipped the morsel of bread uh, into the wine and gave it to Judas. Now, let me me help you to understand this. So much of the Exodus event is going on in this. I don't have time to talk about that much. But this place, you have to see it. Um, In Exodus 33, Moses had been walking with God for a long time. And and, and, um, God knew everything about Moses. Uh, But finally, in chapter 33, uh, Moses says to God, God, we've been walking together for a long time and many things. You know everything about me, but I don't even know your name. Lord, tell me your name. And so God says, I will. Which in, in, Among Jewish people, to tell the name means to tell people your character, what you're like. Um, and so the, the story is so beautiful. Exodus 34, He has uh, God has Moses hide back in a rock because you can't look on the face of God. And then God passes in front of him. And he declares what he's like in a text that is quoted so often in the Bible. Uh, read it through and you'll see it. But there are two of the qualities about God that's part of his name that I want to highlight. He said, one, I am... Full of mercy and slow to anger. Anybody happy that God is like that as we gather here today? Full of mercy and slow to anger. And that that one translated, slow to anger, is translated in the older versions, long-suffering. I think it's very descriptive. Because don't we make one another suffer? Uh, Husbands and wives, you sometimes do things that make the other person suffer. You don't have to give testimonies right now. isn't it true with children and parents isn't that true we make one another suffer I'm just telling you God loves us so much that things that we do make him suffer and one of the most beautiful things about him is that he is willing to suffer for a long time a long time so that Jesus knowing knowing that Judas is going to betray him I I want you to see what he does Let 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 me try to tell you how I envision this playing out Jesus tells his disciples solemnly one of you will betray me They express their personal concern. Lord, is it I? Is it I? But but Jesus doesn't respond immediately. So these 12 men who have been together for three years go back to eating. And if you've ever been in a gathering like this, you know what took place. They start talking with one another. (laughs) And it gets louder and louder and louder. Doesn't that happen with us? Can't you picture it taking place? But Peter hadn't forgotten what Jesus said. So he turned to the disciple Jesus loved, John, who was right there on his right. And he said... You ask him who it is. So John leans back over and says, Jesus, who is it? Who's going to betray you? And, and what Jesus does is, he goes over for John. I don't think anyone else heard it. He took the bread and he broke it. He broke it. He dipped it into the, the wine. It's of his blood. And he said, John, the one to whom I offer this bread is the one who is going to betray me. I, I imagine more time goes by, people aren't paying attention, and Jesus offers it to Judas. Satan fills him and he goes out into the night. Now, there are two things I want you to notice. Are you with me? Uh, first, nobody could have imagined that it was Judas who would betray Jesus. So that even when he got up, after Jesus had said, one of you is going to betray me, and one of them gets up and leaves the room, they still don't think he must be the betrayer. No, no, no. Did you, did you hear it as it was read, as John read it for us? Oh, it must be that we need some more stuff for the festival. Oh, Jesus cares for the poor. It must be he's going to give something to the poor. I've often asked myself, why couldn't they? They all thought he said, I, it must be any one of us. Why didn't they think it might be Judas? And I, and I think... Sadly, I'm not sure about this, but I think it's for this reason. Judas had come from a different area than the rest of the disciples. He had come from a much more refined, sophisticated area. If he had been there, his speech wouldn't have been as rough as theirs would have been. Uh, He would have been the one who comes in and he's wearing a suit and a good one from Nordstrom, not from 99 cent store or whatever (laughs) is a good one. And uh, you know how it is. That when when people seem to be more successful and more refined and more educated, we think it can't be that person. Because the rest of these guys, just think about them. Uh, One of them was a tax collector. Nobody trusted a tax collector. Three of them were fishermen. Nobody respected fishermen. Several of them were called the sons of thunder. I mean, one of them was a zealot. These were rough people. It's one of them. If we were going to profile that group, it was anybody but Judas. But it was Judas. And in that, brothers and sisters, the fact is that every one of us needs the grace and mercy of God. And every one of us has the potential of walking away from Him. And so if there is somebody within our church family or within a circle of friends that you have that walks away from the Lord and betrays trust, Jesus is saying, don't be shocked. Don't turn away from me and don't leave your church family. See, that's one part of this. Now the other part, and I don't want you to miss this, when Jesus dipped... The bread in the wine. And he offered it to Judas. In, in the ancient Middle East, when that would take place, what was happening was the person who offers that bread with the wine to someone else in such a personal way is offering that other person a deeper relationship. Or, if it's a broken relationship, a renewed relationship. Isn't that powerful? knowing that, that Judas had already gone out and started the plot to betray Jesus, still, Jesus, one more time, offers him a deeper relationship. Would you have done that? Oh, you know you wouldn't have. I would have said to the other, He's the one, go get him. Wouldn't you? But here, don't you see it? We get into the heart of Jesus. This is why we love him so much. And brothers and sisters, it's the way he treats you, and it's the way he treats me, and it's why we have hope. Jesus was not going to be dragged down to become like Judas simply because Judas was a betrayer. He was going to continue to be who he was, a person of forgiveness, a person of grace, a person who was slow to anger. It made me think of Martin Luther King's famous quote when he said, Let no man pull you as low as to hate him. And Jesus would never do that. But in spite of that mercy-filled, beautiful offer of a deeper relationship, uh, instead, uh, Judas gets up and he leaves, and the Bible so powerfully says Satan entered into him. Which means Jesus is offering to be the one who controls and guides his life and bring him into the light. But he chose to, to allow Satan to come into his being and to direct his path. And then John, in such a powerful, powerful way, just before this uh, farewell discourse, Jesus had said, John twelve forty six I am light who has come into this world for this reason so that whoever believes in me does not have to be in darkness. But Judas goes away and John says, and it was night. All right. I'm done with that for a minute except for this one thing. Uh, back when Pastor Albert was here, some of you know before Pastor Albert went to plant the church in Monrovia, he and I, every Tuesday afternoon, well, would study the Bible texts t- together. And we were, when we were done studying the Bible together, uh, Pastor Albert would always say to me, now, Pastor Greg, what is the take home you want for us? Uh, what is uh, about this text that you pray will change our lives? So I've been asking that question and I want to just give you a couple of things before you leave. This is a powerful text, don't you think? One, in the light of it. Ask God even now to open your eyes to those things in your heart and life that would lead to distrust and brokenness if they were to come out into the light. That if something that you've been keeping hidden and engaging in would come out, either God would be demeaned because people know that you're a churchgoer and a Christian, or perhaps a relationship in your family, or a friendship would be broken. I've been thinking about that famous Emerson quote, sow a thought, uh, reap an action. Uh, sow an act, and you reap a habit. Sow a habit, and you reap a character. Sow a character, and you reap your destiny. There may be some of that in your life where there's hiddenness, that may still be at the the level of just a thought. It may already be that you've begun establishing a pattern. I just pray even now that you will confess that to the Lord and ask Him to cleanse you and to set you free. And I want to declare to you on the authority of the Bible that Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit He gives to you, has the power to liberate you. He promises that He will forgive you. He also promises that He will make tomorrow different from yesterday. So I pray that you will deal with that right now. Deal with that right now before it becomes so entrenched that your destiny carries you not toward receiving Jesus, but toward being controlled by Satan. Second thing I hope you'll take home with you. If you've come to church and you have felt betrayed or deceived by someone, especially within the church, I want you to to commit that situation and that person to God. And ask God to give you wisdom, to know what you should say to that person, and uh, the courage and the love to say it in the right way. Now, hear me out. Uh, If that person has abused you and does violence, don't go into that situation. Pray for that person. Uh, Maybe someone else should go on, on your behalf. But uh, the thing I want you to hold on to is this powerful message that there is nothing that anybody in this world could do to you that will absolutely destroy what God wants to do in your life. God is greater than any wrongdoer. God has a plan for you. He will fulfill it. And I want you to trust Him again. I want you to trust Him again. And then three, and you'll probably say, well, I expected a pastor to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, I want you to make a recommitment to love and to serve the people in your church. What is a church? I wrote it down see if you agree. A church is a community of imperfect people saved by grace. <laughs> We, we are people who are just learning to live this out, to humbly serve one another and to love one another. So don't give up on us. We're your brothers and sisters, in spite of our flaws. Uh, love us, serve us. I, I, God is here at Lake Avenue Church. I, I see that God is here and at work. And He isn't done with any of us yet. And that's one of the points Jesus was getting at with this powerful, powerful episode. Uh, because, you see, Jesus had a dream. He, he, he had a dream for this world that he had made where everything was going wrong, that someday it would be made right. When, when we listen to Jesus in John chapter 13, what we're listening to is this man, who is also God, setting forth his dream. His, his is a dream in which people within a community in which He is named as the Lord, within that community, people are not going to be judged by the color of their skin. They're not going to be judged by their age. and are not going to be judged by the failures of their past. His dream, when I, I read it, just think of all the people it included. It included a synagogue leader. It included Gentiles and Jewish people too. It included men and women. It included redeemed prostitutes. It included those who had been in prison. And I'm really glad that I keep reading and I see that it included educated people too. Paul got in. Hallelujah. All who receive him by faith are given the right to be called children of God. And that was his dream. And his dream is in the church that we would receive people and serve people the way that he receives and he serves us. It is beautiful. And I share that dream. You know that, don't you? I mean, I, I dream this dream for us here at Lake Avenue Church. Why do I dream it? Because it's so clear to me, and I hope to you, that Jesus dreamed that all things would be right, would really take root in families of people who were planted in neighborhoods. Families of people who would, just as He does, value the sanctity of each and every life. Because Jesus respected people, and He loved people, and He offered grace to people. And when Jesus is Lord in one of our churches, when He's Lord here at Lake Avenue Church, what's happening is more and more we're going to respect one another. Uh, we're going to serve one another. We're going to offer grace to one another. We're going to be willing to forgive one another. And we're never going to give up on one another. That is my dream. And the more and the more that God does that among us, and the more that you are a part of it, the greater your joy will be. And at the end of the day, it will all, it will all be to His glory. Amen. Amen. May it be our Father. May it be. Oh, let me lead us in prayer. Father. Thank you for this, your word. Now do your work in our lives. Father, I know that in a gathering this large, there will be people here who have never known you personally. Never known how merciful and slow to anger you are and how willing you are to forgive sins and and to remake our lives. Father, may this be a day of salvation and faith for many people. Father, I pray that even now some may pray as, as they understand, Here, here's my life, here's my failures, my sins. Will you forgive me? And help them to hear you say, I'll cast that as far as east is from the west. And I pray, Father, that they would come alive to you through faith in Jesus. Through faith in Jesus. Father, for the rest of us, we have so much growing to do to become what you would have us to be. Father, thank you that you don't give up on us. Thank you for the Lord Jesus who gave his life for us. Thank you for the Lord Jesus who served us and then said, as I have served, be a people who love and serve and never give up on one another. Father, do your work in us. Change us. I just pray that this watching, broken world might look at our church family and say, God must be... God must be in that place. May they know that we are Christians by our love. It's in his name we pray. Amen.